five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is the Space Q Podcast. My guest today is former Canadian astronaut Dr. Robert Thirsk, who was recently hired back by the Canadian Space Agency on a contract basis to help with their efforts in defining Canada's potential role in healthcare in deep space. Prior to rejoining the agency, Dr. Thirsk was part of an expert group tasked by the agency to look at the potential Canadian healthcare and biomedical roles for deep space human spaceflight. Those efforts are currently centered around a return to the moon in the near term. In March, their report was released in hard copy and an online version will be available at some point, I'm told. The report is called Canadian Healthcare in Deep Space, Advancing Our Country's Leadership in Autonomous Care in Space and on Earth. Dr. Thirsk and I will discuss the recommendations of that report while also discussing other related medical issues here on Earth and even the distant possibility of human colonies on other worlds or on human-made O'Neill-type colonies. Listen in. Welcome, Dr. Thirsk, to the SpaceQ Podcast. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, humans are preparing to travel beyond low Earth orbit for the first time since December 1972 and the Apollo 17 mission, the last mission to land humans on the moon. Now we're going back to the moon with the eventual goal of building a moon base at the South Pole. The men and women who make the journey will be far away from medical help. When we go this time, we need to be better prepared to deal with routine medical issues and emergencies. To do that, we'll need artificial systems and new technologies on the spacecraft and at the moon base. In March, the Healthcare Expert Group, of which you are a member of, had its report released in print by the Canadian Space Agency. The report is titled Canadian Healthcare in Deep Space, Advancing Our Country's Leadership in Autonomous Care in Space and on Earth. Before we get into the report and its recommendations, as a doctor and an engineer who spent who was actually went on two missions into space, including a six-month stay on the International Space Station, what are the differences and challenges between what you experience in low Earth orbit and what astronauts will have to deal with in orbit around the moon and the surface of the moon? Well, um, you know, when I think about uh, the moon mission that uh, you described and, uh, you know, even 15-ish years from now, we're going to be going uh, to Mars as well. You know, the showstoppers, the hurdles uh, that prevent us from going today, they're, they're, they are financial, of course, they are technological, but they're, they're also medical as well. We're not yet ready to take care of, uh, of astronauts, provide for their well-being, their health, and their performance on some of these long-duration uh, missions. So, uh, yeah, you're right. I've flown on two missions in uh, low-Earth orbit. The concept of uh, medical operations during these past flights has been Earth-centric, which means that the overall health of the astronauts has been supervised by a medical team on, on the ground, led by someone called a, a flight surgeon. And if a crew member became seriously ill on the shuttle or on the space station, uh, she or he would be medically stabilized and then transported to the ground for, for definitive treatment. 
But uh, this kind of uh, medical operation is possible when you're in low Earth orbit and when you have abundant uh, data and voice communication between uh, the crew on, on orbit and the ground. But this kind of uh, medical operation is not practical for the, um, the moon and uh, for, um, for Mars. Uh, it'll be outdated and, and obsolete. Uh, so what we are considering for uh, medical operations in, in what we call deep space are autonomous medical operations, meaning that, um, you know, since we're not going to have real-time consultation on medical issues between um, the ground-based uh, medical team and, and the astronauts, we need more autonomy on board the spacecraft. That could be artificial intelligence. It could be, uh, you know, one or two uh, proficiently trained medical doctors that are, that are crew members. Uh, we need it to be more patient-centric model of uh, healthcare delivery, which means that the individual crew members are going to have to take more responsibility uh, for their own health information and for managing their their own health. We need something called point-of-care medical care delivery, which means that we can't, you know, save up our saliva, our blood, and our urine, and then ship it down to the Earth for, for analysis. We have to do that analysis uh, on board uh, the spacecraft or the habitat. And then we have to do something called virtual care delivery, which uh, that's a, a nasty sounding term, but it, you can probably think of it as uh, telemedicine. It means using, you know, some of these modern digital and communication technologies to facilitate uh, health care to astronauts uh, li- living in uh, deep space. So virtual consultations, telemonitoring, things like that. So the, um, the mode of uh, medical operations for deep space is going to be dramatically different for uh, low Earth orbit. And we have very little experience uh, with that. Any all space-faring nations, even NASA, have very little experience. So uh, we have to uh, uh, surmount uh, this this new challenge. So the report is a 50-page document that has four recommendations. The first one states. Canada should invest significantly in deep space autonomous healthcare as a bold contribution to space exploration and a means to develop national capacity in virtual healthcare for the benefit of all Canadians. So Canada faces challenges in providing healthcare to remote regions. Uh, that's not new. Uh, neither is the pursuit of research off Earth in providing remote care. Um, what differentiates what we've been doing to date and what your panel is recommenda- recommending and um, tie it all together for us into how the two or how the space research will will help our remote communities? I've had um, heated discussions in the past with some of my space colleagues in, in Canada and and, and um, often the conversation is about uh, the justification for exploration of space. And, and my feeling as an astronaut, I'm biased, of course, I think we, can ex- we should explore just because it's part of our DNA. It's just satisfying our sense of curiosity. It's because, you know, that mountain is there or that planet is, is there. But, you know, the realistic uh, perspective that a lot of my Canadian space colleagues point out is that uh, Canada is uh, you know, a relatively small space-faring country, and we can't invest uh, public resources in exploration just for the sake of exploration. Uh, there has to be a social benefit as, as well. Uh, so you're absolutely right. Much like space, Canada's uh, remote regions are, are expansive, they're rugged, they're isolated. Uh, the harsh northern conditions present challenges to our healthcare practitioners and nurses and physicians who, uh, you know, they do their best to provide optimal and equitable uh, healthcare to the patients that live up north or in, or in rural areas. Um, 
also, um, uh, I think you're a little bit younger than me, Mark, but uh, I'm a baby boomer, and soon I'll be uh, reaching my geriatric ages, and, and I'll develop those chronic care uh, medical issues, you know, hypertension, coronary artery disease, diabetes, uh, things like that. And uh, what we need to do as um, this huge influx of baby boomers becomes geriatric is keep us out of hospitals. Uh, so we need to develop technologies that will allow us to monitor geriatrics at, at home uh, as, as much as possible and only call them into acute care centers when, when needed. Well, this is exactly the same kinds of uh, mentality, mindset, technologies that we need to care for deep space astronauts as, as well. So uh, I believe that uh, a Canadian investment in autonomous healthcare, virtual healthcare, would help us to explore space, uh, give Canada a credible role, an expanded role compared to what we've done before in the past, but also meet uh, social economic needs of Canadians as well, push a really important uh, social yardstick that is uh, just begging for us to, um, to, uh, to address. Now, having said that, Mark, um, I, I do want to state that a lot of the healthcare issues of our Indigenous people and also of the other Canadians who live in um, Northern Canada cannot be satisfied solely by technologies and by different approaches to uh, medical care delivery. Um, the social determinants of health play a major role. So, you know, lack of education, uh, unemployment, uh, poverty, those are those are more important uh, factors in, in the health and well-being of our Northern citizens. But I, I do think that if we can develop uh, some expertise uh, and push technology and autonomous healthcare and virtual healthcare and in point of care uh, modes of laboratory analysis, uh, I think we can make a difference and uh, give more equitable healthcare to all Canadian citizens, including those who live up north. Okay. Now, the second recommendation states Canada should pursue a role as the lead integrator and operator for astronaut healthcare in deep space missions. Is this recommendation based on an opportunity that's available to Canada? And by that, I mean, are the other international partners open to Canada leading in this area? Or should we just grab the bull by the horns and do it? Um, so you're going to have to ask me that question again one year from now. When okay. uh, our next task force will, will answer that. But, um, you know, the members of uh, my expert group that uh, wrote this report that you're, you're referring to right now, we're all external uh, members of, um, of the health, Canadian healthcare community. We're all external to the CSA. Uh, we're all senior, broadly experienced, and, and well-networked with, within Canada. So this was our recommendation. We see that Canada has played a 2.3% role in the space station partnership. Uh, it's a, you know, I'm glad we were able to do that, but it is well uh, below what uh, a large country like Canada uh, that's um, regarded as an innovative country should be playing. Uh, we think that Canada should be playing a, a larger role in these international space collaborations. We have the expertise uh, to do it, to have our voice heard around um, the, the table. And it gives uh, more opportunities for our young people to get engaged. So uh, we think that Canada should take on this um, medical challenge. It should be a, yes, it's a near impossible challenge. It's an audacious challenge. Um, the other space partner agencies um, will probably also want to take on a leadership role in astronaut healthcare because they obviously will see it as uh, critical and visible 
deep space role. So securing this role for Canada uh, may require international diplomacy and, and negotiation at the, the highest levels, but um, we're not yet uh, there. We uh, still have another year or so of trying to find exactly what this role for Canada could be and who the partners should be. I will underline that this is not solely a role for the Canadian Space Agency. The Canadian Space Agency doesn't have the, the resources, the expertise to, to lead deep space astronaut healthcare, but the Canadian healthcare innovation ecosystem, collectively, uh, we darn well do have that expertise. So we need to identify over the next year uh, who are going to be um, members of this um, ecosystem that would propose Canada take this leadership uh, position and uh, what our individual contributions will be. Now, would I be correct in saying that in so doing, the costs associated with this are substantially less than, let's say, Canada providing hardware in space? Is that a fair statement? Um, uh, I, I don't know. Again, you have to ask me that question um, a year from now. But I think what we're asking for is um, Canada to consider a new niche area of expertise in space exploration and development. So when I was a young astronaut 30 years ago, um, you know, I, I think the three niche areas that we considered Canada excelled in were satellite telecommunications, remote sensing, and um, robotics. And, and back then, you know, when my astronaut colleagues and I were sitting around a table with a beverage, you know, we would um, envision what Canada would look like 30 years later, and we envisioned more niche areas of expertise. Well, I think it would be hard-pressed, Mark, to say that we have more than three niche areas of expertise today. So for the Canadian Space Program to grow, for uh, us to adequately inspire the next generation of young leaders in Canada to um, help Canadians be proud of their space program, we need to grow. We need a new niche area of, uh, of expertise. We, um, we need new opportunities uh, out there to have our voice heard around, these, uh, around the international exploration um, table. So I don't know what the, the cost of this would be. Um, and it would be less than uh, probably what our robotics uh, role would, would be, but it would be much more than what um, we currently invest in space medicine. And if we think back on it to the Apollo era and then what's happening now with a permanent human presence for, uh, what, 15 years now or so uh, in low Earth orbit, um, it's clear that um, this is an area that must be addressed. Uh, if humans are going to venture beyond low, low Earth orbit, uh, the medical side of it is, is you know, it's not going to have, it's, it can't be a second secondary thought. It has to be right up there with everything else. So um, I'm just, and of course, this means the way that you've explained it to me, it would sound like that there are also tremendous benefits for us uh, here on Earth. Um, and now I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let me help you get it back. So you're absolutely right. Over the, the past decades, specialists uh, in space medicine in Canada and elsewhere have uh, successfully developed, you know, countermeasures to deal with most of the, the medical problems of spaceflight in low Earth orbit. So, you know, the, the neurovestibular uh, syndromes, the cardiovascular uh, atrophy, the musculoskeletal loss of strength and mass 
But once we venture to deep space, we can expect new problems to arise. And, and you're right, these are showstoppers right now that prevent us from going today to um, deep space. So ionizing radiation is one that I'm very worried about. We're, astronauts on the way to Mars will be exposed to higher levels of ionizing radiation once they, they get beyond Earth uh, Van Allen belts. Uh, partial gravity. Um, the Mars astronauts and the Moon astronauts will be exposed to, you know, weightlessness for a, a period of time during the, the transit, followed by exposure to partial gravity on, upon landing on the lunar or the Martian uh, surface. We have very little experience with that. Uh, we're not talking only about isolation and confinement. We're talking about extreme isolation and confinement on a two and a half year Mars mission. So there's going to be numerous uh, psychological stressors and amongst the crew, including privacy and habitability issues, uh, remote interactions with their families back home and with the ground team, and then heterogeneous uh, crews, crew, crew members coming from a variety of uh, nations, cultures, races, ethnicities, uh, religious beliefs, uh, problem-solving techniques. So it's going to be um, uh, the psychological challenges are going to be significant. And, and as we talked a few minutes ago, the most important issue we need to deal with on these deep space missions is going to be the novel healthcare delivery methods. Because what we, the way we delivered healthcare in low Earth orbit is um, is going to be inappropriate for deep space. Now, I'm going to throw this in there because I just thought of it. Last week we had Jeff Bezos. Uh, founder of Amazon, founder of Blue Origin, a rocket company, uh, who is uh, spending literally billions of his own dollars uh, to help humanity um, get into space. Uh, and in so doing, he talked about his plans for, or his company's plans for the moon, including its uh, Blue Moon Lander, which, it, which they said they could offer to, to NASA uh, for their uh, ongoing work. But one of the things he also said is that, um, and he prefaced everything on this with the fact that he says that there's uh, going to be an energy deficiency on Earth, that humans will have to live off Earth as well, although Earth is still the best place to live, and that he was suggesting that we live in these large O'Neill colonies, and this is a concept that goes back to the 60s and 70s by Gerald O'Neill, these rotating cylinders that can hold, in his words, and this is Bezos, up to a billion people. Um, is it possible for that kind of vision to be a reality? Or is space so harsh that that dream, that vision, generations from now, just isn't possible? Uh, well, I'm a... Uh... A great fan of Bezos and also Elon Musk as well, who I think are the uh, Thomas Edisons of the 21st century. So uh, I bow down and worship them. And uh, I, when I, they make statements like that, very visionary statements, I, it pauses, I pause to reflect on, on what they're saying. What you just described is not going to happen within our lifetime, uh, but it is something that could happen a couple of centuries uh, from now. So... Uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, you know, the world population is currently about uh, 8 billion, uh, and it's uh, just about to rise exponentially. And um, the Earth's resources just cannot sustain a, a population of 10, 15 billion people. That's not going to happen. So we, number one, we have to become better stewards of our, of our planet here. And 
getting control of um, poverty, inequality, overpopulation, environmental damage. That's, we, we definitely need to do that. But also, I, I think that um, we need to plan for the, the future as, uh, as well for the survival of the species. So, you know, when you look at the Earth from the vantage point of, of orbital flight, you, you really realize that our planet is, um, is frail, that it's um, vulnerable, that it's surrounded by nothing but void. And within our solar system, Earth is a solitary oasis of, of intelligent life. And, you know, some of this recent uh, rhetoric and posturing between nations worries me. Um, you know, considering the snail pace progress that humanity has made over the last millennia, great cost and effort, uh, wouldn't it be foolish? Wouldn't it be irresponsible? Wouldn't it be a calamity if humanity ceased to exist at our, at our own hands? So survival of our species is is not a sure thing. I hope that humanity will still be a, uh, around 100 years from now. No, but a thousand years from now on our on our current trajectory with our present mindset, uh, I'm not sure about that, Mark. Um, so um, Bezos is, is right. If we want the species to survive, I, I think that we need to seed uh, other habitable celestial bodies within our solar system. And then uh, again, a couple of centuries from now, I, I think the humanity needs to go interstellar uh, as well. For the survival of our of our species, because um, we're just uh, we're not great stewards of this planet. All right. So, getting back to the report, the third recommendation states: in addition to operational oversight, Canada should contribute healthcare technologies to deep space healthcare facilities, according to our national expertise. What are some of those technologies that you think Canada should pursue? Um, well, you're you're right. Um, you know the uh, the expert group that I I chaired, we we really were pushing for Canada to be bold, be, to be audacious, to take a leadership role uh, and play an integrator and an operator role. But we didn't want that leadership role to preclude some of our very capable industries from uh, contributing hardware and, and software. So Canadian industry uh, possesses capabilities to contribute some pretty uh, important subsystems to the, um, you know, the onboard hospital. Uh, in vitro diagnostics and point of care diagnostics are very important. Uh, we have world expertise in that. If you've been following the mission of David Saint-Jacques, he's flying something called a bioanalyzer, uh, which is uh, manufactured by Combev Honeywell uh, in, um, in Canada. And um, it analyzes his blood, uh, sputum, and uh, in his urine on, on board. And so uh, this is revolutionary stuff. And obviously, uh, Mark, you can think about, boy, that's a great technology to have up north as well. So we don't have to ship all those samples, you know, the samples from northern citizens down to Winnipeg or Edmonton for, um, for analysis. So that's an example of uh, the kind of technology where we're really good at. 3D printing of medical supplies, of 3D printing of uh, pharmaceutics is another area. Uh, surgical systems, uh, we have some of the best um, remote uh, minimally invasive surgeons in the world in Garnett Sutherland, in um, University of Calgary, uh, uh, Marin Anvari at McMaster University in Hamilton, and then Ivar Mendez at the University of Saskatchewan. These are world leaders, and they are highly respected. So uh, I think that uh, surgery is a skill that um, the onboard Mars crew must have. Trauma will occur uh, someday during an EVA, 
uh, or some repair ops. And so we need to have surgical capabilities, and we're very good at that. Advanced medical imaging and then um, training, crew training as well, but um, also crew training of the uh, of the trainers and the flight controllers as well. Um, I had a mind-blowing visit to CAE in um, near the Dorval Airport, near the Montreal Airport, um, a couple of months ago. Uh, everyone knows about CAE for making their flight simulators, uh, but uh, they've also got a very significant uh, healthcare uh, simulation component as well. And what they're doing in virtual reality and augmented reality is is world-leading. So um, these are other technologies that, in addition to the leadership position that I think Canada should play in, in deep space healthcare, these are uh, subsystems that we can also contribute. Now, forgive my ignorance, but... Are we actually shipping uh, blood from remote communities to, like, Yellowknife down south for testing? Yes, yes. Oh. So, and the other thing, too, like, so that, that's one thing, Mark, and uh, right away you know that puts up the cost of healthcare. Mm-hmm. The other thing, too, we're not only shipping biospecimens, we're shipping patients down uh, as well. So think of, um, think of some... Uh, Healthcare practitioner up in uh, Pangdertung in Nunavut, and that healthcare practitioner has a patient with pelvic pain. Now, the differential diagnosis, or the you know the, the different causes of that pelvic pain, could be could be a dozen long. So, one of the things you really want to rule out is uh, something called an ectopic pregnancy, which is you know it's a very serious um, situation. So um, these patients are transported from up north down to, you know, a tertiary care center, a hospital uh, down south at a cost of, I don't know, $50,000 or so. And it could be nothing. It could just be gastritis. But, um, you know, we we need to give uh, the northern healthcare centers more capability and we need to give the northern uh, healthcare practitioners more confidence and more connection with uh, specialists down south, and um, I think, by, as I as we mentioned in recommendation number one, investing in autonomous and virtual uh, healthcare is one way that we can um, serve not only deep space astronauts but better serve uh, the northern Canadians and uh, and address this healthcare crisis that uh, Canada is reeling from. Now, you mentioned something in your response uh, when you were talking about 3D printing and some of the other technologies, and it just uh, brought up a thought in my head, and it just may be a crazy thought on my part, but um, obviously we're going to be bringing, needing to bring drugs with us uh, on these missions so that, uh, uh, you know, we have a range of drugs that the astronauts can use for whatever reasons that, um, that come up. Um, is it possible to create some of these pharmaceuticals while they're there through 3D printing or some other method? Uh, yes, some, some pharmaceuticals can be 3D printed. I'm not a world expert uh, to answer your question, so I, I think that's all I'll, I'll say about that. But uh, yes, it is uh, certainly possible. And then also the thing is uh, we can uh, print meta- uh, 3D print uh, medical supplies as well, clamps and forceps and, and things like that. When I was aboard the uh, International Space Station for six months, we had uh, several uh, significant systems fail. So the oxygen generator failed while I was up there. The carbon dioxide scrubber failed. The um, the exercise, the muscle exercise machine failed. Uh, the toilet failed. And uh, I repaired. I worked with, with my colleagues. I repaired all those systems. But we depended on um, 
supplies uh, from the ground to, uh, you know, change out a, a part and uh, replace it. You can't do that on deep space. Once you've left Earth orbit and you're on your two-and-a-half-year mission to, to Mars, uh, what you have aboard your spacecraft is what you have. So I see that we'll have a lot of stock, you know, plastic stock or, or whatever, we'll have a 3D printer so that we can um, we can uh, build replacement parts to, um, uh, you know, make uh, do the maintenance and repairs. So you're not only a doctor and an engineer, I didn't realize you were also a plumber. <laughs> yeah, um, so... Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, no, go ahead. I was going to get to the fourth recommendation, but if you have something else to say on that. Yeah, so one of my favorite uh, movies is The Martian with Matt Damon. And I think that movie well illustrated the kinds of skills that um, you know deep space astronauts uh, have to have. So uh, I, I forget what Matt Damon was. I think he was a, a botanist. That's right. Um, on the, but um, you saw him get out of a terrible jam that he was in. So he had all these MacGyver skills uh, as well. And that's really what you need. You know, I, I like to think that the, the astronaut training that I've gone through has given me MacGyver kind of skills, but you need that um, to the nth degree if you're going to be a deep space astronaut. All right. So the fourth recommendation states to assist the Canadian Space Agency with development and implementation of this potential opportunity, an external and diverse collaborative body should be established representing Canada's operational, health service delivery, commercial research and government expertise. So subsequent to the report being published, you were officially hired by the Canadian Space Agency on a contractor basis to provide expert advice and support for their healthcare uh, in deep space activities. Uh, am I understanding that you uh, have already determined who should be on your external body uh, that you're uh, looking to put together? Um, we're... we're we're in discussions right now. We, we expect that uh, this next external body, which might be called advisory council, uh, will have 12 or 14 uh, members. We hope to have the first kickoff meeting uh, in um, September, maybe October. And we're in, I'm in discussions. I made my recommendations to the Canadian space agency who should be on the, uh, on the council, but it's not my responsibility. It's uh, the space agency's responsibility to, um, to name these people. So, uh, these will be very high-level people, um, people who are able to open doors at the highest corporate, political, government levels. Uh, these will be people who understand the big picture for Canada. People who are exemplary collaborators who are driven by a desire to make our nation a better place, uh, who have a track record of pursuing audacious uh, initiatives, and they will have some medical operational or research um, background or perspective as, as well. Um the folks will come from uh, other allied federal governments. So Health Canada, CIHR would would be the kinds of people that um, we would be looking for, perhaps um, NRC, uh, PHAC, the Public Health Agency of Canada. These are just the kinds of organizations that um, we, we might want to have on, on, on board. Um, folks from the uh, medical uh, device uh, industry, uh, indigenous, indigenous practitioners. Uh, we really want uh, the, um, the indigenous community to drive the um, the deep space astronaut healthcare uh, initiative because uh, they have a uh, they'll be the primary beneficiaries of the socioeconomic spinoffs um, 
physicians with remote uh, practice experience, um, the AI community. I think that uh, one of the technology trends we haven't really talked about yet, Mark, but uh, Canada has world expertise and is artificial intelligence in healthcare. So we, we definitely need a, a rep uh, who is an AI expert. Training folks, uh, the medical technology research institutes, uh, human performance folks. Uh, I think we should have an international rep, maybe a, a NASA rep. And then um, some people with space operations experience. So uh, myself, Dave Williams, uh, we have some of that kind of expertise to contribute. So we do not yet uh, have everyone named to the advisory council, but uh, I think uh, we will name them in the next month or two. And hopefully we'll have our kickoff meeting in September or October. And looking forward to rolling up our sleeves and uh, trying to help the, the space agency um, definitively decide whether or not um, deep space healthcare should be a new niche area for Canada. Okay. I have just uh, one or two questions left. Um, I have to ask about this first Canadian space health research symposium that was uh, announced in January and is planned for the fall of this year. The group putting on this symposium uh, appears to be an independent group from the work you and your colleagues have done at the, uh, at the CSA. Is that the case or are they uh, related to your ongoing work? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I'm not associated with this, uh, this conference coming up. I was asked to be... Uh, a part of the organizing committee, but I'm just overstretched right now, Mark, so I, I had to decline. But I, I think that, um, well, two things. Number one, I, I think this topic that we've been talking about, this potential role for Canada in deep space healthcare, I, I think that might have been a, a rallying cry for um, this uh, this conference that's coming up. And the second thing is that, you know, there's a lot of capability out there in Canadian uh, universities, so UBC, the University of Calgary, University of um, Alberta, uh, Western, Waterloo, uh, McGill, Toronto, they're all doing phenomenal stuff. And uh, I think they realize that they can't you know, move social yardsticks if they're working in silos. So there's, a, there's now enough of a critical mass, there's enough passion, there's enough enthusiasm, there's a new uh, national space strategy out there that, that warrants, I think, people coming together and uh, figuring out uh, how they can collaborate better and, and remove some of these um, these hurdles for deep space exploration and some of the social healthcare delivery challenges. So over the course of the next year, um, and actually before I ask that, um, I should point out that there already have been uh concept contracts that have gone out by the Canadian Space Agency and awarded to several companies uh, for different types of technologies that uh, they're interested in looking at. So work in this area has already started, obviously. Um, but uh, in the next year, what is it, other than putting together this advisory body, what is it that you're going to be doing specifically? Uh, we're going to be trying to address the, the details of what a leadership role for Canada could be. Uh, specifically, we think that Canada could play the integrator role, which means that we would uh, work with NASA, which is probably have the programmatic role for deep space healthcare, and we would try to integrate all the contributions from the, the individual partner nations, so ESA, Japan, NASA, Canada, Russia, uh, into uh, an onboard hospital. Uh, we see ourselves as having the test beds uh, where the integration and the training of crew members 
and instructors is done. And these test beds, uh, Mark, we think should be in northern Canadian communities. Get the uh, get the northern community uh, engaged in, um, in helping us test out the new protocols, you know, the new approaches to healthcare delivery, and testing out some of the new technologies. Uh, if it's um, if it's not simple to operate uh, in a northern community, it's going to be very difficult for an astronaut to operate in, in deep space. So we hypothetically would envision these um, deep space uh, healthcare test beds in in Resolute, in Cambridge, in Iqaluit, uh, maybe Fort Vermilion in, in northern Alberta as, as well. Uh, so that's uh, you know one thing that we'd probably want to define and, and see who would be interested in participating in uh, in that. You know, you, you mentioned technology contracts. Yeah, uh, part of the issue of uh, delivering healthcare in deep space is, is new technologies. Yeah, that's true. But it's also mindsets. It's also approaches. It's, it's also, you know, AI. And um, it's also training. You know, like we talk about uh, autonomous medical operations in deep space. Maybe you know, in addition to some decision-making uh, support, we just need to have a medical doctor as a member of every single crew. That doesn't happen today. But uh, what kind of a medical doctor, what kind of training should be part of these crews? So, you know, just my first thought is should be someone who has experience with remote medicine, who, emergency medicine skills, uh, anesthesia skills, uh, minimally invasive surgery skills. So we need to define that as as well. And then uh, the other thing, in addition to defining exactly the, the role and contribution for, for Canada, is who's going to be involved. So uh, I, I envision that other federal government departments that have some kind of a health mandate uh, would be partners. As you pointed out, industry uh, would certainly be a, a partner. Maybe the provincial ministries of, of health, um, I'm not sure, uh, the training folks, the chronic care uh, folks, and uh, most importantly, the, the Indigenous community. So trying to pull uh, people together, there's a lot of uh, passion, there's a lot of interest uh, out there. Everyone that we've spoken to from these various sectors that I just mentioned says, uh, darn right, Canada should be doing this, how can we help? But now we have to see exactly um, who should be helping and what is the nature of their contribution. Will it be financial or will it be in-kind? Will it be expertise? Will it be helping with some of the the uh, regulatory and policy uh, headaches that we're undoubtedly going to face. So uh, that's my job for the next year. So if I remember correctly, none of the astronauts that went to the moon previously had a medical degree. Um, when we go back to the moon this time, um, should we really have one of those astronauts at least have a medical degree and experience? Like for every uh, mission? In my, in my humble opinion, uh, yes, with a capital Y. Um, you may not uh, get other uh, folks in uh, upper levels of international space organizations to declare that as, as well. But um, the risks um, for health, performance, psychological stresses are going to go up in order of magnitude when we go to deep space, including the moon. So I would say um, yes. Okay. Um, do you have any last thoughts? Anything that we haven't covered that you think you should mention? Uh, no, I think uh, you did. A, that was pretty um, pretty complete um, podcast. So 
Okay, great. So um, thank you for being a guest on my show uh, as this develops. And uh, I, I'll look forward to hopefully uh, uh, getting you back on the show uh, once there's some more you, news in a year or so or something like that. Great. Thanks, Mark. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Space Cube podcast. If you like this show, please support us on Patreon. The address is patreon.com slash We really appreciate feedback, and to help us, we ask you consider to write a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music if you're so inclined. If you have any comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca, or you can post them on our website at spaceq.ca, where you'll find an archive of each episode. If you send me a comment by email, I'll write back to you as soon as I can. On Twitter, you can follow us at Canada in Space. And if you use Facebook, you can find all our articles and links to the podcast on our page, The Space Q. If you like the show, please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app.